You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about the choices that films and TV shows, books make with regard to science and staying scientifically accurate in the stories and how that affects audience perception. Uh, But before we do that, let's meet our cast for this week. And so first up, it's a voice that you have not heard in the last three years. His writing credits include things from GoBots to X-Men to Young Hercules, and that is Mark Edens. Welcome back to the show, Mark. It's good to be back. Has it been three years? It has been three years, yes. Yes, it doesn't seem that long. Yeah, <laughs> when when I first interviewed you and Michael, uh, the uh, the X Men book that Eric Leewald wrote hadn't come out yet. Oh well, that's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So so I actually scooped him on a few things because you guys told the story on the podcast before the book got into print. Oh well, he deserved. <laughs> so how have things been going for you, Mark? Good, good. Uh, sheltering in place. Uh, Mm-hmm. But then that's that's my life pose, anyways. Right. Um, I, I forget. Do you live in Kentucky or Tennessee? Tennessee. Okay. So Michael's the one that lives in Kentucky, right? He's in Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. That's that's right. I know. Last time you were on the show, you were talking about your your book that you were writing, "The Death Be Not Owned," I believe it was called. Uh, Death Be Not Owned. Right. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, um, sorry. <laughs> and uh, so do you have anything else that you're working on right now that you can talk about? Well, I'm just now finishing up another book. It's uh, it's going to be out by Christmas because it's a Christmas story. It's called A Sweet Story. It's kind of a uh, whimsical uh, fantasy, Christmas fantasy, involving a lot of uh, gingerbread men that come alive and do things. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, let us know when uh, when that goes to print, and uh, I'll make sure to mention something on the show. Yeah, it's uh, a little more cheerful than Death Be Not Pwned. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very cool. But yeah, thanks for uh, for coming back on the show, Mark. Uh, happy to be here. All right. Next up, it's a voice that you hear all the time if you listen to this show. He's our resident Ant-Man, and you see him every year at Dragon Con, and that is my buddy Ryan Guthrie. How are you doing, Ryan? Uh, you know, uh, don't mention Dragon Con because my <laughs> fingers are so crossed on that one. <laughs> so, so are you going if, if they have it? If nothing changes, no, I would not. As things stand today, I would not go. But, okay. you know, miracles can happen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
a vaccine just comes out just uh, magically yeah, right just yeah. magically yeah because yeah that's the thing that i've been saying is it's like even if they still hold dragon con and i could and i could afford going i don't think that i would with you know everything going on because people come from every like people come from all over the world to dragon con and yeah. the chances of that becoming like ground zero of the of a new wave of the pandemic is pretty high you know i mean normally it's around what eighty thousand people so say only mm-hmm. half came that's forty thousand people mm-hmm. but it's still crammed into you know four four or five hotels you can't social distance mm-hmm. in, in hotels like that and and plus honestly I'm not expecting any guests to show up, you know? Right. So, I mean, their livelihood is on the, on the stage. I there. think they really need to look into doing it as a virtual con this year. You know, I, they'll try and do something. That's where, what, um, I know Emerald City has tried to do some virtual stuff. And, mm-hmm. and actually, uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion is supposed to be this weekend right now. Mm-hmm. But they pushed theirs back to August. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll get canceled. But, yeah, so I, I, it's going to be weird. It's It's gonna be um it's really just kind of i think 2020 is gone for conventions um, yeah I maybe do too. yeah probably part of 2021 too but we'll see i've been shocked that for as long as it has been that dragon con keeps like piping up and saying hey we're still having dragon con we're still having dragon con and i've been like really <laughs> I mean- yeah I, I honestly i mean i'm sure you've read all the conspiracy theories and, and all the theories behind it but I, i'm i kind of agree with the ones that say it's, that's it's just more for insurance purposes yeah. they can't physically cancel it until they're within a certain window of the date and you know stuff like that although or until the city that's like uh, what what's it TampaCon is happening right and mm-hmm. i think july and i think that's probably because the city said yes we're not going to stop you <laughs> so right. they're like well crap <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can't be like in breach of contract with the various venues and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so they're waiting waiting they're waiting for their hand to be forced. But I know the city of Atlanta has already canceled all parade permits. So mm-hmm. even if it it does happen, the parade and certain other activities won't happen. No, I saw that and I was expecting to hear that Dragon Con was canceled right after that happened, but then nope, it's still I mean, they haven't said anything yet. Officially, it's still happening, but I wouldn't take that bet. If someone, yeah, yeah, I would not take that bet about it actually happening. Yeah, well, so 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 this doesn't become Dragon Con. Uh, yeah, <laughs> episode of the Forty Two Cast. Uh, how how else have things been for you, Ryan? Stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the lab the lab I work in is we're not mission critical, mm-hmm. so we have all the means to process testing, but we're not doing it. And no, we're we're on hold. Houston has been phenomenally lucky compared to, you know, New York, New Orleans, and, and other cities, Chicago. And so we were in place ready if needed, but we haven't been. So I've just kind of been sitting there doing data entry on this stuff and pulling my hair out, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, we're ramping, we're starting, starting next week, we're starting to find a new normal. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, yeah. And so, yeah, you still have to go out to a physical location several times yeah. a week. So, yeah, yeah, that's a little more because, you know, when I work, I'm actually on my furlough week this week, which is a whole other thing. But, <laughs> you know, when I do work, I can work from home, you know, so that that at least it gives me some comfort that even though I'm working and there's some stress with working from home and my kids being home and me having to sort of play teacher for them also. But at least, you know, I I feel safe that, you know, it's one less concern. Yeah, right. It's yeah. one less concern. Exactly. And I mean, you know, to the credit of the lab that I work in, we're rotating. I do work from home two days a week, mm-hmm. but three days I've got to be in the lab. And, you know, we're making sure there's about 
10 of us, I think, in that lab. I didn't, uh, so we're, we're managed to find a flow so that we don't have more than two of us in there at a time. I mean, I can go an entire day where the only conversation I have with anyone is me and my imaginary friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have you back on the show. <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah. Right. And finally, it's a voice that you heard recently when I interviewed her for the show. She loves teaching people about science. She's a physicist and she's the science advisor for the Star Trek franchise. And that is Dr. Aaron. Welcome back to the 42 cast, Dr. Aaron. Thank you. You guys are killing me with the Dragon Con talk. (laughs) (laughs) Do you go every year? I'm a guest. (laughs) No, I know you're a guest, but I didn't know if you were like a regular like every year. Oh yeah, this is, it's my happy place. It's Mm. my, like, it's where my soul lives and belongs. And I made the terrible mistake of watching my favorite Dragon Con costume videos today. So if you had caught me like three hours ago, you would have seen me crying into a cup of coffee, (laughs) missing Dragon Con so much. But yeah, I am. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Got okay. that out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> well, besides the, the worries about Dragon Con not happening, um, yeah. how have things been for you? Things are good. Things are very busy. I think um, most people saw that they announced a sixth Star Trek show mm-hmm. uh, last week, the um, Pike show that they're going to be doing, Strange New Worlds. And so I am as you mentioned, the science advisor across the franchise. So I now am helping out six shows and it's keeping me plenty busy as it were, but it's great. I mean, it's a dream job. So zero complaints. (laughs) Work in air quotes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Watching Star Trek. (laughs) Man, such a bad job. Such a a hard life. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, other than like, you know, the crushing existential crisis surrounding me, Mm. as long as I'm still in the Star Trek world, I'm doing very well. Well, that's very cool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm managing to stay in the Star Trek world by watching through all the shows with my daughter. That is a happy place to hang out. (laughs) That's right. So yeah, we're almost done with Next Generation. And, you know, probably this time next month, we'll be done with Next Generation. Wow. That's awesome. I'm I'm impressed she's made it all the way through because it's got some rough seasons. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about it. But thankfully, there's never like a point where there isn't something good, you know, interspersed in. Like there's never like a run where it's like, man, this whole half season was just awful. You know, there's. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, this one good episode kept me going. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. So yeah, like like I said when we talked, you know, one on one, I'm still shocked that the original series was just because of age. You know, I thought for sure she wasn't, but she just started sitting down and watching with me when I was watching the original series for myself, and it was like, hey, if you like this, let's just keep going and watch more yeah. of it. So yeah, I'm, that's I, awesome. I'm a proud papa over here. <laughs> well done, because <laughs> that's what I grew up watching before Next Gen came out. So you know, yeah, like exactly. I, I have that you know root going back all the way there. So yeah. But I'm glad to hear that you're you're doing okay, even if you've got a lot of work to do. And and welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'm happy to be back. I always love some good geek chat. That's All right. What I'm about. So let's get on with it then. But before we do that, let's pause for a promo from another fine podcast. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we've been watching Doctor Who for five years. So that makes us experts. 
Probably. I once heard a guy say that he listened to a four-hour podcast by an expert, which made him an expert. So, we're experts. Definitely experts. And you can be an expert, too! All you have to do is listen to... The Watchathon of Rassilon! It's a podcast! That we make! Together! Sometimes with friends! Listen to it! Or else! The Watchathon of Rassilon! A proud member of the ESO Network. And we're back. So yeah, I called this one just the facts, and the reason why I'm calling it that, or you know, kind of the the impetus for this, is that you know I've had lots of conversations with people, and it's it's always kind of interesting when somebody says like, oh, you know, and they talk about a movie that I've seen or a TV show that I really enjoyed, and they say, well. You know, there was this thing in it that just like totally took me out and I couldn't enjoy it because of that. And the example I can give from my own, you know, experience is the Pacific Rim movie that the (laughs) it's, 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 you know, it's giant robots and monsters, right? So you're not expecting like hardcore science anywhere, but they made the mistake of showing the workings of the robots and it was just a big gear system. And as an engineer, I just lost it at that point because it was like, that was the most inefficient and ridiculous thing. But a friend of mine, his wife, you know, we were talking about the movie at another point and she mentioned that, they, you know, that she was bothered not by anything like that, but by the whole psychological system that they had because she was a psychologist. And so for her, that was her big thing that she was complaining about in the movie is this isn't how left brain, right brain works. They, you know, it didn't make any sense, yada, yada. And so, you know, the, the response that people, you know, a lot of times will give in situations like this, is they like something is, you know, you just have to, you know, ignore that kind of stuff and just, you know, watch the, you know, watch the movie and accept the fact that it's, you know, fiction or whatever. But it seems to me that everybody has a point where they break down and it's different for different people and what they object to. And, and it doesn't have to be science. That was the other thing when I was thinking about this topic, even though I brought up science, you know, some people it's history, you know, historical movie, whatever that, Oh, like this breaks it for me because this is so inaccurate or things of that nature. So I guess, you know, the question that I have for the group is, you know, have you had experiences like that with, you know, first of all, with something where you just said, oh, I, I watched this and it doesn't matter to me, like how good it was or whatever, but I just couldn't because of this thing that was just so wrong with it. And then, you know, kind of want to go on from there to talk about, you know, some things that, that come on from that. So why don't we start with you, Ryan? Do you have an example of a movie or a series or something like that where you had a where you had an issue um, that you just couldn't get beyond something that was so inaccurate? Well, if I'm going into a movie, I can mentally prepare myself. If I know going in that this is going to be crap science or that I know they're going to do something wrong, whatever, then I'm Mm. braced for it. It's when it catches me by surprise. It's when I wasn't expecting it. (laughs) And it can be the silliest thing. I I believe the most recent example that I can think of, I actually mentioned uh, on the Rise of Skywalker podcast. It was when Ray held up the dagger. She just happened to be standing in the right spot uh, to see where the throne room was, you know, holding it at the right height. You know, I mean, it it was just that literally I I laughed in the theater because it was just so stupid and it was a nothing thing. It's really, I mean, the force put her there. The force had her hold her at, hold it at the right spot. Mm-hmm. And after the fact, I can do that. But um, that's probably the most recent one. It's not really science, except 
in revol except uh, in respects to you know perspective. Sure. But there have been some little things. Uh, obviously, you you brought me in like Ant Man. Honestly, I never had a problem with because I went in preparing myself. It's stupid. I can pick it apart, but I was prepared for it. The only other big one I can think of that immediately came to, comes to mind. Uh, honestly, it, it's Star Trek. It's two thousand nine Star Trek. It's the brewery, you know, speaking of engineering, brewery engineering. I mean, I just I don't know why, but seeing them run through the you know a brewery or or whatever it was, just I, you know, I, I kind of lost it. There, you know? <laughs> okay, sure, why not the Enterprise? It's funny you say now that like you didn't really have a big deal with Ant Man, but we actually have you on record on the yes. first episode of the podcast complaining about how Ant Man is so inaccurate. because yeah. you it's have completely you, inaccurate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take me out of it though. It's like oh, it's just you know, it's like, okay, fine. I knew going in they were gonna mess it up you know? <laughs> because yeah um that that was one of the things that was one of the times that somebody surprised me it was actually you surprising me about it because i figured you would just know it's a comic book movie or whatever but it just seemed to me like you were really like upset with ant-man for not getting the answer right. <laughs> okay well all right, all right all right here's here's another thing there's a certain depth that you expect with science accuracy and mm. you you can expect you know oh they're gonna about ants you know by the way, for the audience, in uh, my undergrad research was in sociality and ants in particular, and new sociality. So I did a lot of studying of ants. But um, as a matter of fact, I would have ants today in this apartment if my wife would let me. <laughs> but so it's, it's the little things. I didn't expect them to get necessarily communication, right? And they didn't. Mm -hmm. But I did expect them to at least realize that 99.9% of the ants you see are female. And yet here he calls, here Scott calls uh, uh, and the ant Antony, and they were all referred to as male. And it's just like, just get the broad strokes, you know, <laughs> just get at least one of the broad strokes, you know. I actually want to tee up on that later because that's, I think, I think you've hit on something there. It was part of the point that I think that we're going to get to. But before we do that, though, I, I want to hear from Mark. Mark, of course, you're a writer also. So, I mean, these are considerations that you have to, you know, make when you're writing also, as far as like how accurate you want to make things if you're doing anything with science or whatnot with it. But have there, has there ever been something that you've watched and you've just been like, oh man, this is just so inaccurate that it's just taking me right out and I can't enjoy it? Well, I'm usually bothered more by uh, <clears throat> history than by science. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe because the thing is that so many movies uh, at least advertise themselves and try to give themselves some importance by being supposedly true or based mm -hmm. on a true story. And there aren't that many movies that say, you know, based on true science. So when, mm -hmm. you know, when they get the science wrong, you just kind of accept that the, the science is just magic under another name, mm -hmm. which is what it usually is in science fiction. But uh, so history stuff bothers me more because it's like they, they pretend that it's real, whereas the science and science fiction, so often it's just what what was accepted because it's been in other movies. Yeah, you know, anybody can fly faster than the speed of light because you know, somebody in the 1960s said warp drive, and suddenly, <laughs> oh yeah, I know, that's, that's when you can fly faster than the speed of light. So everybody just accepts that that's, that's a thing that you can do. It's all right because you don't worry. You don't worry about whether it's possible or not. Right. But and, and I always I always hate time travel stories just because that never makes any sense. Okay. <laughs> Wait, was it you or Michael that wrote the uh, the the time travel story with Bishop and Cable <laughs> in X Men? Michael wrote that. Oh, well, okay. I've written time travel. I've written time travel stories. I just hate them. 
okay. But if, you know, if I didn't write things I hated, I, I, I'd never make a list. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Could you think of a specific example, though, of a movie where the, the inaccuracy of the history just, like, brought you right out, or a series that brought you right out of it? Oh, you know, you know, there's just, there's just, there's so many. It's, it's, mm. you, you could just name any, any historical movie, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, and it would be that way. But, but science, science bothers me, too. Usually it goes by so fast that you don't pay attention, exactly. which is a big strength of movies, is you, you don't have time to really stop and think, well, wait a minute, that's just stupid, because it's already moved on to another thing, which mm-hmm. is why I hate documentaries, uh, usually, too, because documentaries usually have their impact, but, presenting the stuff so quickly and, and so emotionally that you don't have a chance to think about it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I hate everything. <laughs> uh, I may be discovering some things here. But one thing that, that, that comes to mind, and, and this is a, a movie that, it, until it gets really, really magical, you know, it's like it's it, it's trying to, to be scientific. It's, uh, I, know, I can't remember the name of it. The one where the, where the squid aliens come down and somebody has to talk to and they live in the oh, arrival? future in the arrival. Past. Arrival, yeah, arrival. yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but you know, if you think about it, the way they communicate with him, or the way she, they bring in this special linguist, you know, brilliant person to communicate him, then the way she does it is kind of the equivalent of of yelling at somebody who speaks a foreign language. You know, they just <laughs> she's only up cards with words on them or something. You know, and there's a whole interesting way that you could try to communicate with a completely different species. Mm-hmm. But if I for, for a movie that's too complicated. You know, in a book you might you might do it, you know, in a in a Michael Crichton book or something, that would be, you know, hundred pages of how would you do that. Mm-hmm. But but in movies it, and when you write you're always aware of this, is that everything has to be so quickly done and so so fast to keep the audience interested and to keep the story moving and to keep it under two hours. Mm-hmm you fall back on what people have seen in other movies because you just know that they'll accept it. Mm-hmm. You're not doing real science, you're doing science that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And usually it's because it was in something else. So yeah, I hate everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's true. It's a good point is that, you know, a lot of science fiction now builds on science fiction concepts that were pioneered in the early days. And then it's like, well, since audience already accepts that, we can sort of spin off from there. But Aaron, how about you? Is there was there ever a movie or a show or a novel or anything where you just I'm sure with his, having a science background that you've had something where you were just like, oh, this is so bad that I cannot enjoy this. Yeah, you've made the mistake of letting me go last. <laughs> so I've had time to think about these and my list is too long, but <laughs> I can put it into categories. I think the first one I want to talk about, though, is I like that you brought up history because there is one that angers me so much and I wish I loved this movie and I can't watch it because it makes me so upset. And that's Braveheart. Mm. Um, because oh, I... Oh, yeah. It felt terrible. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, my last name is McDonald. I come from a true-to-the-core Scottish pride family. <laughs> and the... It's not that William Wallace doesn't deserve a good, you know, he's an interesting character in his own right, but they threw Robert the Bruce under the bus in that movie. And as like, they tried to portray him as a traitor and he is a, I mean, he's the King, King Robert, that that's our dude and the leader of the Scottish independence revolution. And so the idea that like, he was actually going behind the back and William Wallace was the true hero. 
like, and I lived in Scotland for five years after Braveheart came out, but I was, I've heard stories because they premiered it in Sterling and it was one of those things they would do a contest to see if you could get a, get a free, this is all, this is Scottish humor. So it's all in jest, but you could joke about getting a free taxi ride by getting one block from your destination and bringing up uh, Braveheart, (laughs) just (laughs) getting kicked out of the cab (laughs) because they do not, you know, mention how great Braveheart is and uh, you will not be spoken to. So that's one personally can, can i can i say something about braveheart just, yeah please that, that's a perfect example of of why so much of this stuff is done badly the, the, the trouble with, with so much in hollywood and in movies and tv is that they don't engage with the real world they just want to tell the stories that they want to tell which are usually things that they grew up watching on in, in other movies and tv and, and so it, it ends up being cliche uh Braveheart's a perfect example. Uh, William Wallace became an outlaw because he got mad at an Englishman who, who you know, disrespected him. or didn't right. show him the proper respect, and he killed a guy. And so he became an outlaw. Well, you know, when you're writing a Hollywood story, some producer's going to say, oh, but, that, you know, that's so, that's so negative, you know? He's, he's, he's a hothead, you know, that's, that, that just doesn't work. You know, what if, what if uh, somebody abuses his, the woman he loved? You know, and everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really good. And it's because they've seen it yeah. in a hundred other movies. And so they just fall back on that cliche. Instead of saying, what's interesting about William Wallace? Yeah. And thinking, wow, it's really interesting that at that time, your your sense of honor, your sense of how you should be treated was so strong that if somebody violated that, you'd be driven to violence. So you, you choose to, to react violently. Right. And and science is the same way. They don't say, "Oh, this this science that that I've heard about is really interesting, and and how could we generate a story off of that?" It's just they have a story they want to tell. It's the right. old, seen it a million times story, and the science is just something that they can use to kind of move it along. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still angry about Braveheart, and I wish I liked it. Can I make it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Can I make a Braveheart comment? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just pile on. Well, pretty much. I mean, cause, because I agree from, like, I remember reading, I granted my knowledge of um, Scottish history is minimal, but I do remember reading the, it's also forcing in love stories. Uh, if I remember correctly, the princess, she was like, what, 11 years old or something yeah. like that when this really happened. So that was there. But more importantly, perhaps most importantly in Braveheart is the fact that uh, William Wallace was brought back from France by a Guthrie, and that was not put in the movie, and that personally offends me as a Guthrie. <laughs> oh, that's great! Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Something that would only bother you, Ryan. But yes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about lack of historical the, accuracy. The, those Come producers, on. those producers should know the Guthrie family needs to be honored here. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. Well, I, I'm sorry I inter- interrupted your list, but, but like Ryan, I just had to say something. Oh, oh yeah, no, valid. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, then I guess going to more of the reason why I'm here to talk about this is the <laughs> science side. I am so I'm pretty good at suspending my disbelief. If I if I'm watching a sci-fi film, like like you said, it's it's expectation management. You know, Ryan mentioned that going into Ant Man, you know what you're gonna get. 
But I like what, what Ryan said about when it's something so basic that like all they had to do was Google facts about ants and they would learn <laughs> that it's mostly females that we find and then they could put that in. That's sort of the stuff that will pull me out really fast. I do have an affinity for like cheesy action films and actually those are the ones that actually ended up most on my list. I think because I go into them expecting no science and then when they try to science something and they do it so wrong. Mm. I So the ones I have listed are The Core and Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. well, all right. I just want to say one thing here. I'm sorry to also interrupt you. but No, like, open my, the lid, my, man. <laughs> the most egregious thing about Armageddon to me is that it came out a few months after Deep Impact, which is so much better. But anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Deep Impact. Anyway, but yes, please continue. <laughs> well, the core for me cracks me up. I think that's probably the one that I had the hardest time accepting because, you know, it's advertised as just like, oh, cool, like a disaster happening on Earth. We'll go figure out what's happening. Like, that's legitimately all you knew about it going in because this is the late 90s. And mm. it was the premise that the core of the Earth was stopping moving, which in principle... And then their solution to it is to drill and nuke it. <laughs> There's so much wrong with every part of that sentence that even like <laughs> teenage me knew that's not how science works. <laughs> but another one that's a little more recent that I really struggled with that was intended to be a sci-fi film was Gravity. Mm. And what pulled me out of that is just... This was probably something that my background did actually impact, despite my love and abilities to suspend disbelief. They made stuff in space so close together in gravity that, yeah. like, she could jump from one station to another <laughs> and was like, mm, space is big, guys. That's hundreds <laughs> of kilometers in a really tiny target. <laughs> That's going to take you a while. Um, but, yeah, those so those were kind of kind of my highlights. I think I'd say action films are probably the ones that get me more than sci-fi films. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Pacific Rim, but for me, the other one that I always come back to is The Day After Tomorrow. Oh my god, my dad got kicked out of the theater for that one, because he's a meteorologist. <laughs> well, you you should have no expectations in a Roland Emmerich movie right now. I mean, <laughs> when, I, when I saw it, I was not paying attention to my media to that degree. I mean, I do now, but that's partially because analyzing media is what I do now, so, you know. I, I know, I know. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> I'm older and wiser. But um, yeah, oh man, that movie. <laughs> so bad. The science just, yeah, it's like instantly like global temperatures are just going to fall. And like people can just like flash freeze like in their cars. <laughs> <and stuff. laughs> and again, it's one of those things like I'm not a scientist, you know, like I, I can't say that I'm a meteorologist or, you know, like, but. I mean, just on a basic level. And this is, you know, this is kind of my problem. It's like when it's something where me with just, you know, I, I mean, I have an engineering background. So yeah, science is in there. But I mean, this is something even high school me would have known is that you can't, that that's not real. <laughs> you know, like that can't <laughs> happen. Uh, so that's, that's my real issue there. Actually, you bring up a good point with, because <laughs> you mentioned Roland Emmerich. <laughs> 
it's interesting about films that at the time we were okay with and now have aged out. And I think Independence mm. Day is definitely one of them when they introduce a virus into the... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you suggesting that, that uh, yeah, a Mac and an alien computer can't communicate? Uh, <laughs> we have uh, cross-compatibility with alien computers, Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's a good thing the it's a good thing the aliens were using PCs because you know they never could. <laughs> that one I did see, you know, like I did think about when I was watching it back in the '90s. But my thing on that was that Area 51 had been studying that ship for you know decades, and so I figured they had some sort of thing that allowed them to you know, cross into the alien <laughs> operating system because it was on the, the like, the little shuttle ship that they had. I don't know. That, I'm just saying. The, the I mean, shuttle ship some... they never got working until uh, <laughs> the mothership showed up. <laughs> I didn't think it was a good theory, Ryan. It was just, like, the thing that I made up to just make me accept uh, it. All right, sure. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. But I think, I think in the 90s they could get away with it a little bit more because people... Like across the board, I'm just super generalizing society mm. knew less about how computers worked. And so like the mm -hmm. idea of like a virus, that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> kind of they got away with. And now most people watching it are like, please, I've broken computers many times since then. <laughs> well, in the sixties they would have just asked the alien computer to com compute pi to the last digit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that kind of thing before. Or just had it go into an infinite loop, and that will cause the computer to explode for some reason. Exactly. Um, happens a lot in 60s stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, so we're talking about things that, you know, we had particular problems with, but I'm sure we also have things where we've seen the movie, we recognize the problem, a few of us have even mentioned examples of it, and we've just gone on with it. I mean, I know that my daughter and I were just watching a Star Trek The Next Generation episode called Genesis which is the one where all the crew starts devolving. And again, <laughs> even high school biology understanding of DNA. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's no way that they're turning into like, you know, if all their, if all their dormant uh, DNA is being activated, that they're turning into like perfect, like examples of previous creatures. Like they wouldn't even be able to function if everything was on, but you know, there's all kinds of problems with that one, but we were enjoying the story, right? You know, my daughter and I kind of joked about it afterwards, but it didn't pull us out of the thing, the recognition, the recognition of the fact that it wasn't good science. And so, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about next is, so what are things or why do you think it is that certain things we reject and other things we accept? So why don't we start with you this time, Mark? Because again, you're a writer, and so you have to make these determinations all the time. And and when you're writing for your audience, you know, like how do you decide? Like this is this is something I can take some license with, but here's something that absolutely has to be accurate. You know, again, uh, what I said before is that so much of it comes down to if it's been done before, hmm. people people believe it. I mean, you know, there's there's a certain simple logic. I mean, if the stuff seems logical. Hmm. Uh, even if it's if it's not technically right, or, or and, and there's there's a lot of things in science, you know. I'm I'm always used, trying to use dark matter mm. in in things because it it sounds cool and, <laughs> and because nobody nobody really understands how it works anyway. That's a great go-to. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it sounds sinister because they don't realize dark just means you can't detect it. 
But as a writer, you, you try to find the things that you can have just a little bit of, of truth to it, and then everything else is sort of a little beyond what's known. Uh, you know, a good example, you know, I mentioned Warp Drive, where everybody just uses it for convenience. Because, you know, you can't have a, you can't do Star Wars if you're going to go to the next planet and it's going to take them 180 years <laughs> to get there. So you just kind of made it up. But what's more interesting is if you, you try to think, well, what if, what if people could go faster than the speed of light? You know, what would that mean? What could you do? I mean, obviously in, in something like Star Wars or Star Trek, you know, if you wanted to build a weapon, you wouldn't need to build a Death Star. You just need to, into pebble at uh, some planet, you know, faster than the speed of light, and by the time it gets, you know, when it gets there, it'll have infinite mass or something, and the planet will just be completely obliterated. You know, you, you could you could try to do interesting things like that. I wrote a story one time that, that uh, I never finished, where I tried to address that, where if you were, because obviously if you're going faster than the speed of light, if you hit anything, it's going to, who knows what's going to happen. But the idea was that you have to be surrounded by some kind of magnetic field sort of bubble that would deflect anything smaller than you are, but if its mass was greater than yours, you would be deflected. Mm. It's just a way to explain why you couldn't just easily build a weapon that would be a faster than the speed of light sort of cannon that would fire something and destroy it. So if you just think a little beyond the simple answers and try to get something interesting out of it, mm. I mean, then it's, then it's useful, and even if it's not right, even if if, if real scientists are going to say, well, that, that's not true because, you know I, know, I know this and this and this. But, but for the average audience, you know, we still find it interesting. Yeah. So, Aaron, I, I know that, you know, part of your job is this exactly this question. <laughs> helping creative people try to determine whether something should be real science or, or whether or not they can just go with whatever license they want to take to tell the story that they want to tell. So how do you make that determination of where do you draw the line on that? Yeah, so there's there's kind of a spectrum that we talk about. And this is, like you said, this is exactly what I'm faced with day in and day out. <laughs> it really comes down, I'll, I'll kind of walk through the steps a little bit, not belabor it too much. But you kind of have to first ask the question, like, if you want to do something truly outlandish and it's really going to break science to try to explain it, does it need to be explained? You know, ch are we better off just saying this thing happened and that and you just have to accept it? Because once you try to say, well, this thing happened because the, you know, subspace corridor of the, you know, X matrix caused the tachyons to evolve, you're going to lose people really fast with too much techno babble, as opposed to just mm -hmm. saying, oh, yeah, there was a transporter accident. <laughs> so now this happened. Now we're now we're future evolving into creatures. And so there are times where it's like we go down and the writers are, you know, especially sort of as it's getting reviewed where they're insistent, like, no, this is something that we want. You have to take a step back and be like, all right, then you're better off not explaining it. But if there are times where you are going to break science and it is going to serve the story. And I don't really have a lot of examples of that, except the one that I really respect is The Martian. Because The Martian is a perfect example of breaking, clearly breaking science. The inciting incident, so it's not a spoiler because it's five minutes into the movie <laughs> or the book, is this idea that there's a dust storm on Mars and it knocked over a satellite that impales Mark Watney and they have to evacuate and they leave him behind for dead. 
Now, the atmosphere on Mars is never going to, it's 0.0, it's 0.6% what it is here on Earth. So it's never going to be strong enough to push over a satellite. You won't be able to see, but you're not going to feel any wind. But if they didn't do that, then there would be no story. That's the inciting incident. And Andy Weir was very explicit that he didn't want that incident that left Mark behind to be the fault of a crew member. So it had to be environmental and it had to just break science for the story. This isn't normally something that comes up. Like I said, this is a pretty rare thing. But then the, the other kind of aspect that I, I hit on is if we're going to science it, if we're going to say warp drive, all right, we've got warp drive. You have to be consistent with it. I think you'll lose your, your viewers or your readers if you just use it as a get out of jail card, free pass of like, oh yeah, warp drive, we're good. <laughs> but if you do establish rules and you do come up with some explanations, as long as those explanations aren't obviously wrong, if you have explained somehow, even if it's just technobabble, as long as you're consistent every single time you talk about it, that's a way to keep the viewer in. That you're, they feel like there is some investment in that technology or that explanation that you're using. That's hard to do because you do have to establish rules. And sometimes you play with them to the point that you go warp 10 and then you pre-evolve into <laughs> lizards. <laughs> but at the very least, we've established that warp 10 is the limit. <laughs> right. Well, see, the funny thing is I list that as a as an error with Star Trek, though, because in prior Star Treks, they went beyond Warp 10. Oh and then they gosh. were saying in Voyager that Warp 10 is the limit. Yeah. In my mind, as your resident Warp Drive expert, they just adjusted the scale. They readjusted right. the scale. <laughs> right. And that's something I learned from reading behind the scenes, you know, like Mike Akuda, mm -hmm. you know, has mentioned that, you know, in interviews and stuff. But it's never said on screen that they adjusted the scale. So it's something that, you know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> As a viewer, you know, I watching that for the first time, I said, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> As a writer, though, you'd love to be the guy that remembered that they called Thatcher and Warped in before just so you could throw in something that said, you know, it was it was believed in the past that they'd gone beyond Warped in, but, you know, there was a malfunction of the, the <laughs> instruments. That right. They actually, you know, only went very close to Warped in. Mm. Didn't quite go. That's exactly the part that I love doing is being able to put in Easter eggs like that, whether it's mm -hmm. with science or with previous technology to just say, yeah, um, this won't work because of this when whatever this is either is referenced in previous stuff that's come out or is like a scientific, like a little known scientific thing. People love that. It shows some effort. Yeah. No, no, I definitely agree. I mean, that is something that as a viewer, you know, I appreciate, you know, when somebody will come in and say, okay, this thing that looked like it didn't work does in fact work. Yeah. But then there are other examples that I, I know, like just off the top of my head, as soon as you say consistency, and Ryan might laugh here, uh, time travel in the flash. <laughs> it is so inconsistent and so badly done. And I mean, to Mark's point of why time travel, you know, tends to be bad is just because so many people handle it poorly. 
when they write time travel stories because of the inconsistencies and, and the way that they do it, you know, doesn't really work. <laughs> but so, uh, so Ryan, as a viewer, <laughs> yes. I, dare I say a, a discerning viewer. <laughs> <laughs> say a contrarian viewer, how about that? <laughs> oh, right, well, yeah, you're also a contrarian viewer, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about for you? So like when you're watching something, you know, what to you is the line where if you drop, because I'm sure you've accepted things, you know, you mentioned Ant-Man that you accepted yeah. it, even though you were, you were saying like, oh man, this isn't right you know, you've accepted things and enjoyed the movie or show or whatever. Anyway, where, where do you draw the line on, oh, this is something that takes me out or this is something that it's okay because I am enjoying the story? I think I have different standards for episodic television than I do for movies. Mm. But I, to, to echo the previous points, for television, for me, it's about consistency. If, if you're going to make your rules then yeah, you have to stick to them. I mean, you mentioned time travel on the Flash. I thought you were going to say timeless. That's where I thought you were mm. going there because I, I they had quite a few problems both on the time travel aspect. Which let's be honest, that could be a, a podcast all by itself. Yeah. But uh, also just in other scientific facts, it's you know as as has been mentioned before, the moment they go back in time and pop out of the lifeboat, they should kill everyone with all the diseases they're carrying. <laughs> But you know, <laughs> never mind. You know, Shh, don't think about that, Ryan. Yeah, don't think about yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> but for me, I, I think there's kind of a, a, a buzzwordness around science with the with general audiences. Um, we pick up mm-hmm. buzzwords from from other movies or from scientific headlines because we're not going to read the actual article. And so mm-hmm. we, we've got this idea. I mean, you threw out the word epigenetics, and everyone thinks they've got an idea uh, of what's going on and, and why it could definitely work. And I. I I think the biggest culprit of this in recent memory for me is a show I loved for the characters and, and the relationships, but I hated for the science. And it's one I think you just recently finished, uh, Nathan. I, I hope you did anyways, because they broke every rule they established. Uh, and that was uh, Fringe. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. I mean, they would set up, yeah. sometimes within the same episode. Sometimes Walter would explain <laughs> something at the beginning of the episode that this is why this happens this way and it must happen this way always. And then by the end of the episode, he would be like, nah, I was just pulling your leg on that one. You know? uh, so uh, when that happens, if you're going to ask me to believe something I know not to be true for the sake of the story, fine. But if you're going to later on say, nah, we were just kidding or, or we, 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 want to change the story in this direction so never mind what we just said then then i'm kind of personally offended (laughs) well it smacks of lazy writing that maybe their script originally was going one way but then they decided to change it but they didn't rewrite the early parts and you know it's just kind of like oh go off this way instead i mean if you want to tell me that a hurricane or a tornado can pull sharks up into it okay cool i'm with you (laughs) you know (laughs) but don't You're a better tell me. man than i am <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean but you know yeah just just be consistent with it right so you know one of the things we touched on was you know talking sort of about uh, the general knowledge of the audience also Aaron had mentioned how some things that were acceptable you know 20 years ago when you go back and watch them you know it's it's hard because of the not because the story or anything in there is problematic but uh, as far as the actual events other than like now scientifically we know a lot more about things and we're thinking more in terms of like an independence day thinking about how computers work and whatnot and so how much of a factor do you think that is, is just sort of the general knowledge of the audience? 
and making sure that you don't violate something that's just so well known that everyone watching it will know like, wait a minute, this is not accurate. Oh, I have a great example on that one. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I know I just talked, but I'll just throw it out there. And, but no, no, you can you can go first. Th- this this is one that also, and there I've seen memes tearing into this as well, and that is mm-hmm. the only using ten percent of your brain. And mm. you know, Scarlett Johansson made a whole movie about it. You know, <laughs> and I, I think as an audience, we're, we're I, th- I do think in general audiences are getting smarter to a certain degree. They're not so easily fooled. But mm-hmm. there are still certain things which they've come to accept as a given that are not facts that you, you grow up believing this must be true. And so when you see it on the screen or someone makes a movie about it, you just go along with it. No. Like 10% of using only, only using 10% of your brain. Uh, right. <laughs> well, that's a case of something that's just become like uh, like understood has become accepted by everybody. Yeah. I'm also talking about the fact that the general education level of the population is increasing all the time. And the fact that people know more about science now than people did 20, 30 years ago, you know, just in general, just at a certain base level. I realize certain events would cause people to question this, but I still (laughs) believe that it's true in the general population, not necessarily the people who make the laws. But anyway... So yeah, I mean, uh, Aaron, does, do you think that there's any truth to that, that we can get away with things, you know, years ago that we can't get away with now? And is that part of the decision-making process is, you know, hey, it, a certain base level of your audience, yeah. you know, is going to understand that this is not right. You know, maybe we should avoid doing this or come up with some explanation around it. Well, I think that that's why writer's rooms or collaboration or peer reviews or however you work as a writer with bringing in sort of people to to read and give you feedback is so important Mm -hmm. because if it's flagged immediately where someone says, oh, this doesn't make sense or I didn't think that that's how, you know, genetics worked or something Mm -hmm. like that, that's a red flag for you. And I think the biggest red flag and something that I will always fight back against is if anyone at any stage says the audience won't notice, (laughs) then it's like, all right, no, forget that we're done. Like change the conversation because you have to put your best faith in the audience. You have to say people pay attention and they care and they're invested in this. So we have to be invested. And if someone's pointing out a flaw, whether it's scientific or in the plot or anything, you have to respect that your audience cares about what you're writing. And the minute that you say, oh, they probably won't notice. Yeah, you're right. That is a flaw. We didn't think of that or we didn't notice that but the audience won't care or they won't notice because we didn't notice it on the first pass, then you've immediately like disrespected your entire audience. And that's hard to do. And, and sometimes it's too late, right? Sometimes you get down the writing process and you're like, uh, crud. But if either you can fix that a couple ways, you can either acknowledge it and just say, yeah, get ahead of it, you know, and say, look, you know, this is, this is an error. This isn't right. This isn't how I, I intended this to come across. And I think scientifically, you can sometimes get away with that. Mm-hmm. You can retcon it. And there have been famous retcons that I am hold dear to my heart. 12 parsecs being one of them. you know or or you can just kind of collectively say okay we're going to acknowledge this and we're going to try to fix it or you cut it and sometimes those are the options but it's hard to do and i think the biggest biggest thing is just to respect your audience the minute that you say they probably won't notice 
then you've already taken your respect for your audience down a notch. And that is going to make worse writing. That's a really good point because, and and this is actually a great segue for me, you know, bringing Mark into this conversation, because even when you're writing for younger people, you can tell like as a, as a young person reading or watching the shows that Mark was writing, you know, I could tell there was something different about X-Men and Exo Squad because I didn't feel like I was being patronized or written down to. But you, you were, you just didn't feel it. Oh, okay, thanks. Burn. That was an author burn. Yeah. No, I mean, there was definitely, in other shows at the time, I felt like I was being patronized, but those were shows where I felt like you expected more out of your young adult audience than a lot of other cartoons were doing. Oh, no, yeah, I was, I was joking. You know, we, 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 we tried not to because we weren't really writing for a young audience anyway. It's just... Mm-hmm. Because the, the main writers on a lot of those shows grew up in the, in the 60s when there wasn't that much programming just for young audiences. Mm-hmm. So you ended up watching stuff that was made for adults anyway. So mm-hmm. And we kind of took that attitude to everything. Yeah, so my question to you is, since you have been writing, I mean, you, you were writing for GoBots in the 80s, you know, you've, you've had a long career writing. So have you felt like, you know, you've had to include more reality when writing shows? I mean, obviously, when you're writing fantasy, it's less important because you're, you're dealing with things where it's deliberately different from the, you know, reality of the world. But when you're writing things that are science fiction like X-Men or Exosquad, or if you're writing anything that's grounded in the real world that you've had to be more scientifically accurate or has it been something that you haven't really noticed a change over time you know i I don't know if it's more accurate now or if it just the conventions have changed Mm -hmm. you know you look at things that they were done in the past and eventually you know somebody will start doing them right and then maybe that'll change you know i was watching uh ad astra the other night and and it was so refreshing just the fact that there wasn't any sound in outer space Mm. something something crashed into something on the, on the surface of the moon, you didn't hear it because there wasn't an atmosphere to, for the sound waves to travel in. And, you know, it used to be they would put the sound in anyway just because they thought the audience would be confused. And would they want to watch wrong with the sound? You know, the spaceship blew up and I didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. But, why is that? but the conventions change, but then whole new conventions come up, you know, the, with all the, the superhero and mutant things now, there are all these totally inexplicable, silly powers that people have and that human-like creatures have that make no sense at all scientifically. That is uh, somebody jump up in the air and fly around. Mm. There's no real attempt to explain that. But you just, it's, it's just a convention that that's a doable thing. That's a, a possibility. And so it, uh, I would say that, that just uh, the conventions have changed. Yeah. But it's not necessarily more sophisticated. It's just different. Yeah, no, that's actually a good point. Although I have seen people try to scientifically justify various superpowers before. So there are people out there with, you know, a science background that do try to, it's sort of like in the same wheelhouse of what you're doing, Erin, in taking something, you know, from science fiction and trying to put real science around it and saying, okay, how would this work? Or, you know, if, what are the implications if this was happening and things like that? And I always find that fascinating. It, it, it's always after the fact, too, because it's, right. it's like a, on a soap opera explaining why this dead character shows up. You know, you just make up some kind of kind of story. You're, you're trying to scientifically explain some superpower that Stan Lee just made up in 1962. 
62 when I got here. Since um, there's a couple of Dragon Con veterans here, did you guys ever go to the Science versus Movies panel? I know there's millions of hours at Dragon Con. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was on my list to mention. That's a must uh, for me every year going to that panel. I'm like, but it, there's a line to get into that one. And I always get stuck behind the column, but that's one of my favorite, favorite panels. Are you on that? Yeah, I was lucky enough to be on it for a couple years. So the premise of it, for those of you who don't know, is essentially they it's an after-hours panel, which means that panelists can openly drink and swear. Yeah, it's just, and do. You know, the kids need to be in bed. And they do. Yeah, we do. Because um, it's usually, there was one time where I had five panels in one day, back to back to back to back. And uh, my last one was after 10 o'clock at night, and I was drinking my way through that one. (laughs) So the science versus movies, they get a panel of about six or so scientists, give us all alcohol, and play us clips from the most absurd movies in the world. And we have to, in real time, science them. Like, we have to legitimately explain how you could make a hurricane have a skull face like it's just (laughs) the dumbest stuff you can think of and it is the most fun and like creative improv type show i'm glad you've gone ryan because that that makes me happy it's one of the best experiences if if they can explain how a shark can grab a 747 out of the air yeah then i want to be on that uh i want to witness that discussion (laughs) or last year they had like a rotating set of uh, paleontologists to explain every dinosaur problem (laughs) in every movie. It was hilarious. It's awesome. But it is. And sometimes you do end up having to retcon it. But a lot of times too, I think that's why I'm so grateful with having what Star Trek has offered me because I'm, you know, I wasn't on season one of Picard. I wasn't on the first couple seasons of Discovery. But I think that Star Trek recognized that they are expanding their portfolio so much and they don't want to constantly be playing catch up with their various explanations for the science when you have shows that could be going off in other directions. I mean, vastly different directions. We have a Nickelodeon show. We have a comedic, you know, animated show coming out. We have the different timelines. We have a Section 31 show. And all of those are going to have very different tones, but we don't want to step over the science of each other. And so that's kind of what my role is, is so you don't end up, (laughs) you know, like you said, Mark, sort of Stanley came up with this idea and put it in. And then there's a bunch of scientists trying to figure it out. They wanted to have a scientist in front of it to just be like, well, we thought about it. Even if we threw it out, we're not breaking anything. So that's okay. (laughs) That's amazing. Because that's actually something that Ryan and I have talked about on this show before. Not just with science, but also with plots and stuff. Is just have some central figure when you have a big franchise that's coordinating everything and making sure it's, you know, it's consistent, you know, between all the properties. Because that's one of the things that can be very annoying as a viewer. And especially now that we do have such mega franchises like Star Trek and like Marvel and like the DC stuff and all that. And it's a hard job. I mean, people think that these franchises are staffed by thousands of people who pay attention to this stuff. And it's not, you know, it's people have their jobs and they're, they're trying to keep on top of everything. And it's hard. It's hard. It's a lot of content at all different stages. And so, um, you know, but they're trying to do the best they can. And, um, and I really, that's something that I learned going into it was just like, 
oh man, that's, this is hard. This is really difficult. And I started to give these studios a lot more credit because it's, um, yeah, it's a difficult challenge. Yeah. But audiences are pretty forgiving though, because I mean, when you can completely reboot franchises and just change things around, and, you know, I think the audiences are, are, are a certain, most of the audience anyways, is willing to put up with just about anything. Yeah, no, it's true. Although, I mean, that's that's a whole separate debate because I think a lot of times what happens with the reboots is they're going for a new audience than the people who liked the franchise before. And although it depends on series. All, I mean, James Bond reboots itself every like four or five movies. So that's a different thing. That's become part of the expectation of watching the James Bond movies. But then there are other things where it's like they're taking a property that's been out of circulation for 30 years and they're rebooting it. They're not going for the people who were fans before. You know, they're usually saying like, okay, we're going for the young people now. That'll start a whole new fandom. And if some of the old people tag along, that's great. But if not, then, oh, well, there's more numbers in the younger crowd. But I think kind of going with the science side of that, in the same way, if you put in just a little nod to good science or to previous fans, Mm -hmm. that can go a really long way. That can go a really long way. And yes, as a viewer, like I always do like that when, you know, somebody says like, hey, like you're like the Stan Lee cameos in the Marvel movies are a great example of I mean, it's not exactly a reboot because it's a new media, but you love those Easter eggs of acknowledging like this is the guy who came up with all this stuff. So, you know, we give him his due in these movies and you can, you know, sort of see him and, and, you know, you like those Easter egg kind of things. I think that goes back to, you know, what Aaron was saying about respecting your audience and Mm -hmm. just doing right by them. And also recognizing that they're going to be the ones controlling the continuity. I mean, we, we talk about movies and television show and how there's not a whole team that keeps track of these continuity changes and so forth. But even authors, I mean, George R. R. Martin, Robert Jordan, Epic fantasy novelists will have their readers point out inconsistencies that they missed. And so that's just part of having that working relationship with uh, the audience. Yeah, no, that's another good point. One more thing, though, that I wanted to bring up before we end this panel is the role of the storytelling. And when you get into the conflict, and I'm sure this comes up quite a bit in Star Trek, of this is a really great idea but the science doesn't work. And so at what point do you say, hey, the story is such an interesting idea that we trump what we know of real science? You know, I mean, one thing that, that I can bring up as an example is I absolutely love Stargate SG-1. Uh, I think that's a great show. I love the characters and I watched through all 10 seasons of it and its various spinoffs. But the whole idea that they sort of dispense with the idea from the movie is that you have to learn the language on every planet that you go to. And there's no universal translator, everything. Everybody just happens to speak English. And if you think about it, that's really ridiculous and dumb. But I watch that show anyway, and I don't (laughs) care. (laughs) Because I like the characters. I like a lot of the plots of the stories. So at what point do you say, hey, we, we have this idea. It's just not going to work if we really science it. Let's just go for it. How do you do that when also people are becoming more aware of these things and the reality of them or how it would really work? So let's just start with you, Aaron. I mean, since that's something that I think you probably have to deal with is, is that sort of question. Yeah, I mean, I have definitely had calls from writers, even outside Star Trek, just other sci-fi writers, where they were like, yeah, so 
this executive producer really wants to put this idea in. <laughs> it's like, and there's no, there's literally no way to science it. Like we can try to justify it. But my thing is if I spend more than half a day trying to come up with an explanation, then the viewers are never going to accept it because it's going to be so far fetched that you just have to let it go. But that's where it comes down to how much do you explain it? You know, I think if, if it's a, if it's for the story, I respect that the story takes precedent over the science. And this is something I've talked about before too, that the first thing that ends up on the cutting room floor is the techno babble, Mm -hmm. because if they need to cut an episode down, then they're going to cut the technical explanations for what's happening (laughs) Mm -hmm. and leave the audience to see the story because it's the story that's the more important thing. So again, I, I always just err on the side of not explaining it and, you know, taking the moment to reflect on if this is the way you want to tell the story and providing options, you know, to try to yes and it be like, okay, if you really want X, then maybe we can twist that and in the broader context, have that be part of these other, you know, storylines that, you know, we can tie it in a more creative way that could explain it. But even if you can't do that, then you just say, all right, we're just going to let it happen and not try to explain it because people perk up when they hear the explanations and they want to add that to the wikis and, you know, <laughs> make that part of the canon. And if you don't give them, I mean, it's a little bit brutal, but if you don't give them the content, then there's, there's nothing they can kind of say about it. And then they're able to focus on the story. So it's not dismissing that their authority or their interest or anything like that. It's just saying that this isn't what we want you to focus on as a viewer. Mm. Although, you know, you keep people like me and, <laughs> and Ryan and others, you know, in constant uh, uh, work uh, to debate how things work that were never explained in the story. Which so. I mad respect, because, like, that's how I got my start in this world, was being like, all right, I'm rolling up my sleeves and we're doing warp drive. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I respect that, and I appreciate it, and it's why you will see me drinking heavily at Dragon Con <laughs> every year that it is socially health-wise acceptable to do so. (laughs) But in a way, even if you're talking about uh, the shortcomings in a show or a movie with the science, at least you're talking about it. Mm. So in a way, you know, that's success. That's true. You know, that is something that for the stuff that hasn't, that we have to go back and reflect on, if it doesn't make sense, I always call them just teaching moments, <laughs> right? <laughs> that you just say, okay, so let's explain why that isn't true. And mm-hmm. then you end up teaching some science anyway. So it's not too bad. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it goes back to like the idea of there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Because if people are talking about your series, then you, you've succeeded in something. People are, you know. That, that, that was my point. Yeah, before you can talk about uh, something dumb that was done in a movie, you have to buy a ticket and go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you're doing something right. <laughs> so yeah, um, Ryan, how about for you? 
how do you juggle like the 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 because that's you know like like I said before that's usually the argument people make like if you're talking about something and saying like oh this didn't make sense or whatever a lot of times there are people who will say like oh but just focus on the story because that yeah. was you know so good and why are you harping on this thing that was negative but you know I think everybody's line is kind of different there but is there anything in particular that you think kind of covers the you know majority of people that you can say like oh this is this is how you can break this down so that more people will accept it than not. Well, I, I think you, you've touched on it, and, and Aaron's, touch, Aaron's touched on it, and it's it's a matter of yeah, in, like in episodic television, you've only got what like your forty two minutes or whatever to tell the story, mm-hmm. and so it, it's, if you're invested in the characters, yeah, it's great if you can get the science right. But your example of SG one was perfect because if they'd pulled that crap in the first episode, I'd have been out. But they waited to like the fourth episode, and by then I liked Carter, you know, and, right. and Teal'c was hilarious. So I was gonna, I was just gonna roll my eyes and, and go with it, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what it comes down to. It, it reaches a point when you're so invested in the characters that you're willing to forgive more. You know that that line of what you forgive goes up correlates along with your investment in the characters in the story, and it makes me think of the the Arthur C. Clarke quote, you know, about any advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic mm. and that's kind of you get to that point where you where you just say well it would just take too long to explain anyways so let's just mm. go on with this story I, I do think sometimes for the nitpickers for the people like us i do wish they would throw in just a quick line of dialogue just to make it make sense it would make me so happy but i'm willing to forgive it you know i bashed fringe and and several other shows but i, I remember at least in the early seasons one show that did science great as I remember, I, I could be, my memory could be a lot more forgiving than the truth, but was Eureka. And I, I remember, for instance, um, being on a panel, it was at Dragon Con or some other con with um, the exec, with the producer. And he was saying how uh, they wanted to have uh, a character who got super speed to run so fast. And uh, they talked to their uh, consultants and they were like, well, if they run that fast, the skin is going to you know, burn off of them. And uh, friction is a thing, you know. So mm-hmm. so they, they arrived at the number that this dude could run and he would not die. And it, <laughs> that's that's just uh, just going that little extra step. And no one cares. I mean, I, I love that show so much. If they'd said a thousand miles per hour, I'd been like, yeah, sure, why not? But they actually took the time and, and found a number which very peculiar. But later on, you realize why they chose that number. Yeah, no, that's actually a good point, though, about SG-1, because you're right. For the first few episodes, they did have them speaking different languages, but it was yeah. only... Then then they then suddenly, randomly, though, every planet after that, everyone just spoke English, and yeah. then they sort of dispensed with that idea. But every, by then, you are invested. Yeah, every planet that looks like British Columbia, exactly. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh uh, just as an aside, Beth and I sometimes laugh because we'll see the same stretch of woods from Vancouver. Mm. Like in shows like Supergirl, Once Upon a Time, you know, it's yeah. like hey, it's that same piece of you know woods where uh, Tilk, you know, shot that guy in a she Yeah, there, so there's a there's a, a, a square of city block that is in Central City and National City and Star <laughs> City. And, you know. <laughs> right. Oh man, but yeah. So Mark, when you're writing stories, do you ever make the decision of I, you know, I personally as the author know that this doesn't work, but I've got this great idea and I'm just going to go with it. Or, and then if so, how do you make those decisions? Uh, you know, I try to, I try to avoid going with something that I know that I, 
probably I'm wrong a lot of times, but go ahead. I try to avoid going with things that I know are wrong, but a lot of times it's forced on you, you know, whether it's science or history or even just logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a writer, I'm all the time trying to make things make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're putting in things that explain how a character does something or why a character does something. And there, and so that's the first thing that gets cut mm-hmm. is because the feeling is just that the audience. Uh, and I mentioned before, it's just this stuff goes by so fast, and you're emotionally involved in it, and you don't stop to analyze it. You may go back later and think about it. But as you're watching it, you don't really think about it. So uh, people above you are always saying, oh, this, you know, they don't need to know that. Or, you know, sure, that, that's, that's an explanation, but you don't have to spell it out, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the same for everything. The story considerations, just, uh, you know, you want to get to a certain scene that, that excites the audience. Mm-hmm. And whatever it takes to get there, people go, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to, just has to play. Yeah, no, actually, that's a really good point also, because that's one of those things where I sort of make the difference as a viewer, you know, where I discern things differently. Is is, is this something that after the fact, when I was thinking about the movie or the show, that I said, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense? Or is it something that while I was watching the show, I said, wait, that doesn't make sense? Because if it's something that occurs to me while I'm watching the show and I have an issue with it, then to me, that's when the writer failed because that's something that brought me out of the show. If it's something after the fact, I'll be like, yeah, they got this thing wrong, but I didn't notice it at the time. It's just something that I, I noticed thinking about it later. And so I'm a lot more forgiving of that kind of issue. If you really want to annoy people, start explaining it while the show's going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. or, or point out a scene and say, well, you know, the reason they didn't show this happening is because the writer couldn't think of how to make it work. So mm. I just skipped over it. Well, yeah. And I mean, at, to the point of, of Ryan, you know, earlier about Ant-Man, I mean, some of the things that are most frustrating is when you can think of something that would have solved the problem and would have only taken like an extra line of dialogue. And it's like, why didn't they do something so simple to cover the problem? <laughs> because it didn't really require a huge explanation. But what's really sad is so often the thing that was left out or skipped over or ignored, you know, just because somebody thought, well, you know, we don't need to know that. If you really think about it, it, it's, it could lead to something more interesting than what they've got. Mm-hmm. In Ant-Man, but the idea that it was the fact that the ants are almost all female, at least all the ones that actually do anything, could generate some interesting ideas, some interesting uh, aspects of the story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, probably the first name that came to mind was, was Panthony, and they thought, oh, that's cute. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it went deeper than that either. It was just like, oh, that sounds like a cute name. Yeah. I mean, you know, Antonio would have worked or something, but yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Antoinette. Antoinette, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So yeah, I mean, we're coming up close to uh, to 90 minutes here. So I'm just going to ask uh, each person if there's anything else you wanted to talk about with this subject. So Aaron, was there anything else about this topic that you wanted us to talk about before we sign off? No, I think the thing that I really like about this topic is that so much of it is very visceral, right? That mm-hmm. we go into movies or, you know, TV shows or even books with a certain expectation. And then when we're thrown out of it, I think most of us want to immerse ourselves in the story. When we do that, we're not going, I mean, my dad does. My dad is the type to go in and be like, I'm going to find everything wrong in this movie. (laughs) And that's why he enjoys it. (laughs) 
But a lot of us go in being like, all right, I just want to immerse myself in a story. And then when we do end up thrown out of it, it's an interesting question as to why, you know, we all have different backgrounds and sometimes it's more universal than it is for others. You know, where I'll leave a movie and be like, yeah, F all that, that sucked. And people are like, but I liked it. (laughs) And, And trying to figure out why that happened, I think is fascinating. And sometimes it's more instinctual than others. And, uh, yeah, so I appreciate the conversation. It's, it's fun to talk to people about this. It's one of the things that's been fascinating me for years, which is why I wanted to talk about it. And sort of our conversation, you know, a few weeks back is what kind of smart me to be like, hey, this is a great topic also. We should talk about it sooner rather than later. Mark, any final words on this? Yeah, I'd like to urge people to be more demanding. Mm. I, th- I think the audience, audiences should be more demanding. They should be more like Aaron's father. And, you know, be, be, be more annoyed at things that are, that <laughs> are wrong in the movie. He, he doesn't enjoy that many movies, but... <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of movies that you shouldn't enjoy, you know. Because what really annoys me is, is when there's a movie that's, that's based on his, history or based on a true story or, or some guy's life, then when you, a lot of times when you point out what's wrong with it and how they really got it wrong, the response from from people is just, well, it's just a movie. Mm-hmm. But that's so dismissive of what it could be. You know, it's just a movie. It's like lowered expectation. Well, it's just a movie. It just, it's just there to entertain me, and it did. Well, it could entertain you and be more true and be more interesting if it, if it wasn't setting its sights so low. So I would just encourage people to, to expect more. Because, you know, movie makers will give you what they have to do to get you to watch their stuff. And the more demanding you are, the better it'll get. You're actually pushing one of my buttons, Mark, because I've had a debate with somebody before, and his his whole basis for his argument was, well, if you just enjoy everything, that's better. And so I kind of get what he's trying to say about how, like, you know, because, you know, I'll sometimes have arguments about, you know, because this movie didn't work because of these factors, I don't like that movie. And he's like, well, I enjoyed that movie. And, and you know, you should be less discriminating, you know, because his idea is, you know, if you're less discriminating, it's better. But I'm like, but yes, but I'm trying to have some sort of quality control so that I only focus on things that are good so that that way that benefits me of only taking in content that is up to a certain standard. So, yeah, I, I totally see eye to eye with you on this one, Mark. Sure. I mean, it's, whether you take them seriously or see them, is, you know, it's, it's like watching wrestling where you know, people are breaking chairs over each other's head, heads and things. And, and you think, well, you know, if this was real wrestling, it'd be more interesting. Right. You know, in the movies, it's kind of the same way. You know, expect a little more, don't you? Yeah. Oh, part of the problem is having specialized knowledge. That is one thing we didn't bring up, you know, for this topic was that because I have trained in fencing and I know fencing, sword fights in movies are ruined for me because I see so many times when people leave themselves open, you know, that I'm like, right there, he could have stabbed the guy right there. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Like, you see him trying not to hurt each other. Yeah, I've been right. fencing for like 45 years. So. <laughs> I know, you know, just use your point, you know, quit trying to hit the guy's shield. Right. You know, hit, hit the guy, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, sometimes that sort of thing comes up, too. Ryan, though, how about you? Any last words that you want to say on this topic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very quick point. Okay. If I can. I, I do think, to, to Mark's point about expecting more, that we are. That, you know, the audiences are getting smarter, and I think films are getting more ambitious. Not all of them. 
and that doesn't mean that they're still not prone to mistakes, but Arrival, they swung for the fences. Interstellar, Chris, or Inception even, Christopher Nolan is trying his best. You know, Whether or not he sticks it is a different question. But I, I do feel like that there is a push in movies, at least, and in, in, I would say in prestige movies to try and have better high concept uh, science. So that's great. But uh, I would also argue that, you know, to totally shift gears, yes, there are people who watch movies and TV shows just to pick apart the science. They, they, they go in determined to find what's wrong with it. But then there are people, and, and you and I have argued about this guy before, Nathan, Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and how he mm. will you know, supposedly tear apart the science in a movie or, or something like that. And yeah, he does, but that doesn't take away his enjoyment of the movie or my enjoyment of the movie. It's educational. I think that it actually adds to, to the movie when you can go, see him rip into Armageddon. And if you've ever been to one of his presentations, he does. But you can come out with a deeper appreciation for these movies and projects by watching these and by reading those people and learning at the same time. So I think they're a net boon. And then shifting gears for a third time, <laughs> this, this one will be quick because I, I just, this, it's communicable, right? I mean, it, it's almost uh, viral the way that we can be kicked out of science. And I'll tell you what I mean, because it is about our experiences, right? But I have a friend, a Facebook friend, also a regular Dragon Con attendee, who I guess he's got HVAC experience. I don't know. But anytime there would be a movie or TV show where someone's crawling through air ducts, it would <laughs> set him off. <laughs> it never bothered me. I never even thought about it. You know? But he lost it. And now I lose it every time I see it. <laughs> it's all I can think about. So, oh, yeah, David would lose it. <laughs> he would hate this, you know. So it's it's funny. I maybe that's maybe that's how we're advancing our knowledge of science <laughs> by being pissed off at movies. Okay, so I just have to give my own example real quick before we sign out here. So Beth, you know, we talked about specialized knowledge and everything. Beth will lose her mind with the historical accuracy of costumes because she's a cosplayer and so she knows and she's researched like how things were made and you know like the threading and all that kind of stuff like stuff that nobody else i'm like i'm like looking at her like honey this is not an important thing at all but to her it is this is so important to her. right yeah that the costumes are historically accurate it's very important <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's just funny, you know? <laughs> so sometimes I don't think it is communicable because you don't care, but, you know. It's <laughs> my personal example of that is my partner is in the Marines. And so for mm. him, it's like when they screw up, especially the thing that always gets him is when they have like someone pilot a shuttlecraft who's like not a pilot. <laughs> He's <laughs> always like, why are you having the medical officer go and not a pilot? <laughs> like, right. So um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I have started to notice little military things that I would never, ever, ever have picked up on otherwise. Just mm -hmm. the personalities and the, yeah, the rankings and yeah. all that. It just cracks me up. <laughs> that, there's lots of little funny stuff like that i've got a friend who anytime there's a post-apocalyptic movie or tv show that we're watching somehow she seems to notice like oh that woman had time to shave her armpits i'm like, what? <laughs> 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 you know, like i guess she's you know there are zombies around but she's got time for personal hygiene levels i mean I, everyone's got their own different ticks that set them off whether it's science or history or grooming apparently you know, <laughs> in movies you know. oh all right. Well, yeah, I mean, guys, this is a really fun discussion. I'm really glad that we could have it. But now let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find you or find your content. So, uh, Ryan, why don't we start with you? 
Yeah, well, I'm never going to say goodbye to the internet. I've got an online permanent connection, so deal with it. However, internet, you can find me if you want. I don't know why you would bother since I'm totally ignoring it. But on Twitter at GeekStranger or GeekStranger.com, which is a website that hasn't been updated since previous of last DragonCon, or Facebook on you know these fine people's pages, uh, well, at least Nathan's, where I will probably be telling him why Howard the Duck is, in fact, the start of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just around somewhere, I guess. Possibly at Dragon Con, maybe. I don't know. I mean, fingers crossed. All right. And Mark, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you or your content? You know, I'm, I'm one of these primitive people. I'm barely on Facebook, so that's about as good as I get. But you can find anything I write is going to be on Amazon. Of course, under Mark Edward Edens, you can get uh, Destiny Not Pwned. And by Christmas, you'll be able to get a sweet story, too. So that's my plug. All right. And Dr. Aaron. I want you to say goodbye and let people know where they can find you. I'm the opposite. You can find me everywhere. <laughs> so um, you can find me mostly on Twitter, answering science and geeking out about Star Trek. It's at Dr. Aaron Mack, D-R-E-R-N-M-A-C. That's also my Twitch handle. Uh, if you search for uh, Dr. Aaron Explains the Universe on YouTube, you can find my YouTube channel and DrAaron.com has links to everything. Um, and if you want to meet me in person the next time it's safe to go to DragonCon, you can find me at the Pulse Lobby every night across from the Steakhouse. <laughs> That's the <laughs> easiest place. <laughs> so thank you guys. I really appreciate the conversation. Hey, no problem. And then thank you, Aaron, uh, Mark, and Ryan for giving up your time and being on the podcast. It was a blast. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be better than watching Braveheart. And that's a wrap for another episode of the 42 cast. We'd like to know what you thought of the episode, and you can do that in a variety of ways. You can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can tweet to us at at 42cast. You can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a message on any of our podcast topics. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. Please do, if you have iTunes, use that to rate us if you haven't already, because the more ratings we get, the more iTunes will show us as recommendations, and I would really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of our guests would like that too, to get their contributions out there more. I also want to make sure that everyone's aware of the ESO Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash ESO podcast. It's just a way to help out the entire network, help keep our shows running, help promote our shows. So if you have a little extra, you know, that you can give to the ESO Patreon, that would be appreciated. You do get a few perks such as access to exclusive episodes of all the various shows on the network. So definitely check that out. One other thing that I want to mention is that I have talked a little bit about the Time Streams podcast, and I just wanted to let everybody know that Time Streams is finally live. Yes, you can find it first off by going to the 42cast.com website and clicking on the Time Streams link. So there's one on the top of the page, and the one on the top of the page just kind of gives you the mission statement for Time Streams. And then there's one on the right side of the page that if you click that will show all the posts for the various episodes of the Time Streams podcast, but it's available all the same places that the 42 cast is iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, all of those places. So you can check it out. So if you are an old school Doctor Who fan, 
If you are interested in old school Doctor Who, check that out. We will eventually get to New Who, but since we're going in order, it will be quite a while before we get to New Who. There's no requirement to watch the episodes. The way that we're doing it is that Juliet and I explain everything that's going on in the episode. So if that appeals to you, you can listen to us talk about the various episodes of Doctor Who. And so, yeah, I just really love to hear some feedback on time streams also. So please just check that out. So that's an end to this podcast. Join us back next week when Peter Purvis will be joining us. Yes, on the subject of Doctor Who, I actually have one of the companions, Stephen Taylor, a.k.a. Peter Purvis, the actor, will be on the show to talk about his time on Doctor Who, talk a little bit about his career around that. And so that was a lot of fun. I'm very grateful to Peter for giving generously of his time. And so, yeah, you can check that out next week. But until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2020 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.